We will uh, be opening up our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and uh, turning to verse 21. So we're covering verse 21 this morning. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And this is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we um, come before you now and listen to your word, we ask you, Father, that you would be with us through your spirit to enlighten our hearts and to do the work that's necessary in our hearts this morning to make this message ours, that this word would be our testimony. Help us, Lord, this morning, we pray in the name of Jesus, amen. Well, as we ponder the, the story of humanity, there is uh, one key problem that stands out. That is that none of us are who we ought to be. None of us are the kind of people that we really want to be. Our relationships with, with others aren't as joyful and fulfilling as we wish they were. Uh, we grow Discouraged by how often other people fail us as well as by how often we end up failing those that we love because of our pride or our selfishness or our fears. We wish it was different. What is most discouraging to us is when we try our best to change, you know, to really work hard to make ourselves better, but yet still falling short. And God's word describes our condition as being fallen. That is, fallen away from God, fallen away from his standard for righteousness. And instead, in our sinful condition, we, we are under his just wrath and condemnation for our sins. But today we are talking once again about the work of Christ on our behalf, specifically the, the great exchange that took place on the cross. On the cross of Christ, as our, as our verse here explains, 2 Corinthians 5.21, Christ took upon himself our sin, which we could never remove ourselves, and, and he suffered our sin in our place, and in exchange, he presented us with his righteousness, which we could have never have earned for ourselves. So that is this great exchange of the gospel, and it is the greatest part of the good news of the gospel. This verse here shows us that, that all we brought into our salvation was our sin, our shame, our, our guilt. That, 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 that's all we brought into it. That there was nothing good in us that, that, that could have made us right with God, but God did not leave us in that condition. But by his divine sovereign grace, he took our sins from us and put them on Christ. And in exchange for our sins, God credits Christ's righteousness to us. That is his righteousness, meaning his, his obedience uh, his, his complete faithfulness to the word of God that's put on us as if we were completely faithful to God. 
as if we were completely obedient to him. That is what the gospel message teaches us. Is is at the heart of the gospel message that the Christians believe and that gospel message is what transforms our lives. Our our main theme then from this one verse here in in 2 Corinthians 5.21 is that we would still be condemned in our sin if not for the great exchange which occurred at the cross of Christ. Now again, what, what, what we've been doing this past several weeks is we're in the midst of a series of sermons working our way through uh, our church's statement of faith. Uh, and, and, and this will be the last of uh, those messages covering the first half of the statement. Okay, we've got the statement number, number five. Uh, there's five more to go. Uh, but we're, we're kind of going to take a break here at the, at the midpoint of our statement of faith because uh, Advent's coming, Christmas is coming. So we're going to have some messages focused on on, uh, on, on Advent, uh, but then after the new year, we'll kind of pick, pick it up again with uh, article number six of our statement of faith, but today, article five, which again is focused on the work of Christ on our behalf, and this is the doctrine of how we as sinners are saved and made right with God, and, and that statement, uh, article five reads like this, it's, it's in your bulletins on, on an insert, uh, but here's how it reads, We believe that Jesus Christ, as our representative and substitute, shed his blood on the cross as the perfect, all-sufficient sacrifice for our sins. And his atoning death and victorious resurrection constitute the only ground for salvation. So, uh, again, if we are to be saved and if we are uh, 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 to, to be going to be equipped as a church to lead others to salvation in Christ, then it is probably important for us to become familiar with this doctrine, this, this teaching. And one single verse here in 2 Corinthians will help us to understand, uh, for in just this one verse, the great news of the gospel is summarized for us. For our sake, he made him, that is Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So our, our, our text then is, is going to be put under uh, our three headings this morning. The first heading is our Savior's perfection. Then we'll look at our Savior's, or also our salvation's excellence. And then finally, our present and future distinction. But first, our Savior's perfection. So it's important for us here to know that, 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 that each of the pronouns of verse 21 are referring to in order for us to understand, again, what it's actually saying. Uh, we, we might assume that we know, but we can know for certain by looking back at the previous verses, at, at what comes before. It's always important to look at context, understand the context of a verse in order to understand what the verse is actually saying. So let's look back here, go to verse 18, and here back in verse 18, we will see just to the main player is in our passage from verse 21. And that is God the Father. Look at verse 18. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, um, not counting their, their, their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf, of, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. 
for our sake, he, meaning God, made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So it's pretty clear in these verses that God is directing things for the salvation um, or the reconciliation of his people. And he is directing it all through his son, Jesus Christ. The work that, that God the Father is doing, that is, reconciling the, word, the, the world to himself in verse 19, and he is doing the work of reconciliation through Christ. It is a work that God the Father and his Son are united in. So as we come to verse 21, the R there is for Paul, he's including himself here, and the believers that he's writing to. Our sake. This work of God through Christ was done for our sake. That is, for those who are in Christ by faith. Then it says, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. The, the he there refers obviously to God the Father. Again, the sovereign one directing this great work of reconciliation. And God is accomplishing it through his son, Jesus Christ. So Jesus is, is the one here who knew no sin. Now that is something that we need to ponder. The Son of God lived as a man upon this earth for 33 years and yet knew no sin. Now this doesn't mean that Jesus didn't know what sin was. You know, that, 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 that he couldn't define it for us if we asked him, you know, well, what is sin? I'm sure he could give us the right answer. He definitely knew sin in that way. But this word for, for new is a word that, that you would use to, to describe something that, that you know in the sense of that you have experience with it. You don't just know what it is. You know it because you have done it. You have used it. You know what it feels like to do it. We all know sin in this way. We know it fairly well. Even if we may not be willing to readily admit that we do, we know sin because we have all sinned. We have known what we ought to do and yet have, have done the opposite. We have done the very thing that we knew ought not to be done. We know what God's word says about lying, for example, and yet we have often not been completely honest with others, especially when being honest might make ourselves look bad. We know what God's word says about anger, that God's word says the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God, and yet when things haven't gone our way, we have willfully gotten angry and said some pretty harsh things to those who are even closest to us or to those who are trying to serve us. As children, we know what God's word says about disobeying our parents, and yet we disobeyed them often because we simply didn't like what they told us to do or we, we wanted to keep doing what they told us we shouldn't be doing. All of us know sin because we have personally experienced and chosen to do the opposite of what God has commanded us to do but not Jesus. 
He always did what his father commanded. He fulfilled the law of God by obeying it perfectly. He was truly man, was truly like us in the flesh, as Hebrews 4.15 says, in every respect he was tempted as we are, yet, it says, without sin. He pleased his father in every way. When the religious leaders were trying to dig up dirt on Jesus to use against him in order to condemn him, they could not find anything wrong with him. Pilate testified that he found no guilt in this man. Now, now for you and, and me, it, w- it would not be too difficult for anyone to find something that we have done wrong. I mean, just, just, just ask you know, my wife or my, or my children, and they could give you a list of times that I've sinned against them and against God. But, but Jesus was sinless. He knew no sin. And, and yet the one who knew no sin who could have never have been found guilty of any sin in, in a just court, he was the one who was condemned and crucified as the worst of sinners. He wasn't a sinner, but he suffered as if he was the worst of them. Which is a shocking injustice, yet was all part of God's plan to save sinners like us. One scholar put it like this, In the phrase, he made him to be sin, we penetrate to the center of the atonement and stand in awe before one of the most profound mysteries of the universe. God caused the sinless one to be sin. Sin is rebellion against God, is doing what what, what God hates. It is an abomination in God's sight. And since God is holy and righteous and completely just, he must punish sin. And since all sin is against a holy, infinite God, then, then the punishment must also be infinitely terrible. Sinners cannot come into the presence of God's glory, for he can have nothing to do with sin. So if we are to be reconciled to God, then then something must be done about our sin. But our problem is that we can do nothing about it. For even when we try to make up for our sin, and we have, you know, trying to do do, do good deeds, trying to do righteous deeds, the Bible tells us even our righteous deeds are tainted with sin and self-righteousness. The Bible says we deserve death, we deserve God's wrath, and we deserve his just condemnation in hell for our sin. But instead of God pouring out his wrath upon us for our sin, right here it tells us he poured it out on his son. For he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Here also how Paul puts it in Galatians 3.13. He says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. That is, the wages of sin is death. If you don't obey the law, if you don't complete and fulfill the law of God, you you must die, you are cursed. But Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Remember, sinners like us are the ones whom the curse of the law should fall on. We are the ones who have sinned against God's law. We were the ones who actually rebelled against God, but instead of that curse falling on us, God put that curse on his own son. Just as the prophet Isaiah wrote 
many years prior to the cross. In Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. This is such an amazing, unbelievable reality that, that, that God would cause him to be sin, who never knew sin, that has never sinned, never experienced will, willful sin. We are told that, that even the disciples had, had, had a hard time in getting this. As they followed Jesus, as they heard Jesus talking about the gospel, they had a hard time you know, getting this. But, but we do hear of one person who did get it, who did grasp it. And it's a very surprising one. In Luke chapter 23, while Jesus was hanging on the cross, while he was enduring God's wrath against sin, while he was in the midst of God causing him to be sin, we are told from Luke that there are also two criminals, as it says, who were hung on the cross along with him. Luke tells us that, that one of them just railed against Jesus and challenged him by saying, are you not the Christ? I mean, you said you were. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. In essence, what he's doing was what many of us do in our culture. You know, we have said to Jesus something like this, I'll believe in you, I'll follow you, I'll do what you say if, if you do this thing. Or that thing. And as it has been said by others before, whatever comes after that if, well, that's our real God. That's our real Lord. I'll follow you, Jesus, if he helps me become more popular. If he, he takes away this suffering. I'll, I'll obey you, Jesus, if you provide me with a loving spouse. Or if you help me get this better job. And all we, we, we are doing when, when we say such things to Jesus is reveal what the true Lord of our heart really is. It, it usually revolves around ourselves or, or our own comfort. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. If you are the Christ, I'll, I'll follow you. I'll, I'll believe in you as long as you get me off this cross. But there was another criminal who had a different response to Jesus. Now, before we focus on his response, let us remember who these guys were and why they were there hanging on the crosses with Jesus. Luke tells us that they were criminals. It's also been, been translated as, as thieves. But, you know, simple thieves weren't crucified in those days. Their, their crime more likely uh, also included murder, you know, thieving and killing. If you recall Jesus' parable in the Gospel of Luke uh, uh, for the Good Samaritan, you know, those, those thieves in that parable not only robbed the man on the road to Jericho, but they, you know, they, they left him for dead. They beat him and left him for dead. So, so, so these were bad, evil men that probably were murderers. And the other confesses that they are under a just condemnation. He, he knows that they deserve what they were getting. They deserve death for their sins, for their crimes. But he said about Jesus, this man has done nothing wrong. 
he recognized the truth of what we see revealed in 2 Corinthians 5.21. This man has done nothing wrong. He knew no sin. And yet, there he is, suffering as if he were a sinner. And miraculously, when, his condemned, when, when this condemned criminal looked at Jesus, he didn't see you know, some poor sap who was just dying there for his own sins. When he looked at Jesus, he saw a king who was dying for the sins of others. And he turned to the Lord at that moment. If you remember, he said, Jesus, calling him by his name Jesus, which in Hebrew means the Lord saves. And he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, now think of that. This man was about to die. He could do nothing to make himself right with God. He's got nothing to offer Jesus And here he is asking Jesus if he could be welcomed into God's kingdom after death. The only way that would ever be possible was if he knew Jesus was suffering in his place. It's the only way. That Jesus was paying his penalty and that God would see him as righteous because of his faith in the Lord Jesus. He believed the gospel of 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I wonder, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Next we'll look at our, our salvation's excellence here. Our salvation's excellence is referring to the two words in the middle of this verse that really count for everything. These two words really should be emphasized more than they are in this verse, I'm re- referring to where it says here, in him. That is, in Christ. The only way that anyone can experience the incredible grace of God is if we are in him. This truth is, is emphasized in the original language of this verse. In the original Greek, the, the last half of this verse reads more literally, the righteousness of God we might become in him. The righteousness of God, we might become in him. This is another amazing truth that, 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 that is a bit beyond human comprehension. That you and I, just mere creatures who are tainted with sin and depravity, can be identified with Christ. That is just astounding. You know, that, that we can have union with him and that through our union with Christ, made possible by his being made sin for us on the cross, by making atonement for our sin, and then through our faith in Christ and the saving work that we would be united to Christ. That is, that is from God's perspective. He sees us in the same way he sees Christ. Earlier in verse 17, Paul referred to the saving union with Christ here when he wrote, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You know, when, when, when did you believe this gospel? When did you believe this truth? When, when did your heart change and you truly believe that Christ died for your sins? That, 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 that his great suffering on the cross was, was endured for you? And, and that through him, you could be forgiven and, and made new? When did that happen for you? For some of you, you can look back and you can remember the exact time. 
it was, it was a memorable moment for you. Maybe, maybe you marked it down and you can describe it for anyone who, who, who would ask you about it this morning. But for others of you, it wasn't just one moment in time. You, you, you can't quite say how old you were exactly or, or, or the date that it happened, but, 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 but you know this. Today, you are a new creation. Today, your life has changed. Your heart is changed. Today, you know you belong to Christ. You are in Christ because of the effect that trusting him and following him has had on your life. But for each of us, we still might have those days where we wonder about that, don't we? Am I really in Christ? Do I really have this union with him that the Bible talks about? How could my life really be hidden with Christ in God, as Colossians 3.3 says, when I seem to struggle so much to obey his word? Or, or struggle to, to glorify him with, with my life? You, you might think I must be you know, such of a disappointment to God. How could I truly be in union with Christ, with the sinless Son of God? And that is where the rest of the good news, the gospel in this verse, helps us. For if we are in Christ by faith, then we have been justified in God's sight. That is, he has counted us as righteous in his sight. Again, not because of any righteousness that we have of our own, but only because we are in Christ. It is his righteousness. It is his sinlessness that God credits to our account. And again, that's what's called the great exchange. We're going to look at that now at the end of our verse with the heading, Our Present and Future Distinction. For our sake he made him to be a sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, righteousness here basically comes down to the word approval. When it says, in him we might become the righteousness of God, it's basically saying that in Christ we have received the approval of God. We sinners who have failed him over and over again, who have not obeyed him perfectly, who have indeed even rebelled against him and lived for ourselves, we can have the approval of God. That is, we can be right in his sight. And how can that be? How can that be? Again, it can only be if we have been united with Christ by faith. That, that, that he suffered the condemnation and judgment for the sin that we deserved, that God counted our sins against him, and if then through the miracle of God's grace that God counts Christ's righteousness or the approval that Christ has with God as if it is our own. So think about your life, friends. What is it that you struggle with seems day after day after day? What, what truly keeps you feeling, keeps you from feeling peace, keeps you from feeling content? Is it not that you are longing for the approval of others, but you don't feel like you're able to do enough to get that approval? 
or at least you're not assured that you have that approval. Children long for the approval of their parents, and sometimes that, that, that carries on into adulthood. Students long for the approval of their friends, or at least some friends. Wives long for the approval of their husbands, and husbands long for the, appro- the approval and the respect of their wives. And it is that longing that drives us to act the way we do and to do what we do. And here we are given a promise in Scripture that that even though we could never gain the approval of our Heavenly Father on our own, even though there is nothing that we could possibly do to, to earn the sovereign King of the universe's approval, that we can actually be assured that we have it because of what Christ has done for us. You can be assured of God's welcome. You can be assured that that he is for you and not against you. You can know for certain that you have his approval both now and forever if you have come to recognize that Jesus died for your sins, that he is your only hope for salvation, that he is the only way you will ever have God's approval. Now, this doesn't mean that God approves of all of our actions from now on, or even that he approves uh, of some of the thoughts that we might have toward others, or even our thoughts about him, if they are not right. But it does mean that if you are truly in Christ by faith, then all your sins, all your evil thoughts, all your wrong attitudes, and whatever else that you might do that God does not approve of, that that has been all put on Christ on the cross. That they've been removed from you as far as the east is from the west and God will not hold them against you for, for through our faith in Christ, God sees us as he sees him. Christ fulfilled his law. Christ was completely righteous. Both now and forever, we will also be seen in the same way, all by God's grace, if we are in Christ by faith. If we, if we really believe this gospel, if we really believe this truth, it could, it could liberate our church and lead us to such a joyful witness within this community. Because, I mean, think about it. What is the one main reason why we don't talk about Jesus with others? What is the one main reason why we, we, we don't try to tell our friends and neighbors about the gospel of, of, of Jesus Christ? Well, it goes back again to because we want their approval. We want their approval. And we all feel guilty about that. You know, we know we should be doing it. We know we should be, be talking about the Lord with our friends. And we kind of get the feeling like, like since we aren't doing that, that my goodness, God must be so disappointed with us. That he must really be looking down on us for not being willing to talk with others about how he saved us. If that is how we think, Again, do we really believe the gospel? That it isn't anything we have done that can earn his approval? That it was all Christ and what he has already accomplished for us? So if Christ has won for us God's approval, that God has counted us righteous in Christ, then then why not go out and talk about this with others? Whether we do or, or not, will not change our standing with God. You know, God already has accepted us whether we evangelize or not. 
We are secure in him. We, are, we already have his approval in Christ and will forever have his approval even if we never have the approval of others. So why not share the good news with others who, like us, are also living lives for the approval of others? They're trying to be good enough, trying to be smart enough, trying to be talented enough to be approved. Rather, tell them, show them that Christ has done it for them. As my favorite prayer from the book of the, the Valley of Vision puts it, puts it like this, Christ was all anguish that I might be all joy. He was cast off that I might be brought in. He was trodden down as an enemy that I might be welcomed as a friend. Christ was surrendered to hell's worst that I might attain heaven's best. He was stripped that I might be clothed. He was wounded that I might be healed. He was a thirst that I might drink. He was tormented that I might be comforted. He was made a shame that I might inherit glory. He entered darkness that I might have eternal light. My Savior wept that all tears might be wiped from my eyes. He groaned that I might have endless song. He endured all pain that I might have unfading health. He bore a thorny crown that I might have a glory diadem. He bowed his head that I might uplift mine. He experienced reproach that I might receive welcome. He closed his eyes in death that I might gaze on unclouded brightness. He died that I might forever live. That is the gospel. Our Lord Jesus took all our sin. God put it all on him, the one who knew no sin, so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray for your help. Um, Lord, this gospel is remarkable, and it is sometimes for us even unbelievable that it's, that it's true, that it's real. And we often have a hard time living our lives according to it. And so I pray that day by day, more and more, we would be reflecting on this gospel message, that we would be trusting it, believing it, and applying it to our lives, that we would not think that we need to continue to earn your approval in order to be right with you, but that Christ has done it all for us already. And may that free us, oh Lord, may that empower us to live our lives for you and for your glory, to please you in all things. We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen.